My name is Nathan. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here at the Olathe campus. It's uh, awesome to be together as we uh, celebrate, as we enter into Holy Week t- together here with Palm Sunday. Uh, it's, uh, thanks, for, thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. Let me pray for us, and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to figure out what Paul's talking about here. God, thank you so much for uh, your love, for your goodness. God, we are here because we, uh, we need one another. We need community. And also, God, we are here because we need to hear from you. Um, we know that we cannot figure out every detail of our lives on our own. We know, God, that we are um, dependent. And so, God, we pray that you would speak, uh, that you would change us, uh, that we would hear your voice, uh, and that you would make us whole through your son, Jesus. We pray this for his glory. Amen. All right, so seriously, if you were listening uh, as that scripture passage was read, meet sacrifice to idols. That sounds practical, doesn't it? Uh, deeply interesting. I mean, honestly, uh, it's passages like this in the Bible uh, that sort of make us very quickly think the Bible, it's just out of, out of date, right? I mean, completely irrelevant. It's so easy, right, to read something like this and think, you know what, this book, it is, it's done, it's past, right? We feel that way. And yet, even though we are worlds apart from a situation like this, we still argue about food, don't we? What to eat, what not to eat. I mean, it's a little bit different than they did back then. Uh, today, it's a, it's a little bit more like, like this. Let's watch. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi, hello. My name is Dana. I'll be uh, taking care of you today. If you have any questions about the menu, please let me know. I guess I do have a question about the chicken. If you could just tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, the chicken is a heritage breed, uh, woodland-raised chicken that's been fed a diet of sheep's milk, soy, and hazelnuts. Okay, this is, this is local? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to ask you just one more time, and it's local. It is. Is that USDA organic or Oregon organic or Portland organic? It's just all across the board, organic. The hazelnuts, these are local? How big is the area where the chickens are able to roam free? I'm sorry to interrupt. I have exactly the same question. Four acres. Mm. Give me just a second. I'll be right back, okay? Okay. Okay. Nice. We're doing the right thing. I'm too apologetic. All right, so here is the chicken you'll be oh, enjoying yeah. tonight. You have this information. This is fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, his name was Colin. Here are his papers, okay? That's great. He, he looks what? like a happy little yeah. guy who runs around. A lot of friends, other chickens, his friends. I don't know that I can speak to that level of uh, intimate knowledge about him. Um, they do a lot to make sure that their chickens uh, uh, are very happy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we're gonna go check it out if you don't mind. Just yeah. if you could hold our seats. Oh, now, now? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be right back. We'll just wanna make sure it's Just clean off. Okay. Thank you so much, Dana. Sure, sure. Okay, so before we completely dismiss, right, what this book has to say about the d- difficulties uh, in deciding when to eat and when not to eat, we gotta realize, right, we still deal with some of these things. We're not. We're not that different. Now, certainly this is a unique issue that they are dealing with, but we have some things in in common without a doubt. In fact, I think that this is actually one of the most relevant, down-to-earth passages of this entire book. I mean, yeah, not about meat sacrifice to idols. I doubt, seriously, that any of us are really wrestling with that, trying to, to figure that out. And yet, the issue here, for us isn't the issue. But the issue is, how do we navigate through these kinds of issues in in all of life? 
Because would it, wouldn't it be so much easier if everything was just black and white? I mean, some people try to make it that way, right? Uh, we create rule after rule after rule. I mean, life would be way easier if everything was black and white. Maybe a little less fun, but certainly easier. Trouble is we know better, don't we? It may make us uncomfortable, but life is filled with all kinds of gray. And, and when it's gray, when we have freedom, freedom to decide for ourselves, how do we make those decisions? Remember the old uh, magic eight ball? Like, you know, you ask it a hard question, shake it up, and it gives you an answer. I mean, don't you kind of wish God was like that? You, you bring to him your, your question, God, can I do this? Is it, should, I, should I do that? Uh, and maybe, maybe you even pray really hard about some particular decision in your life and, and trying to navigate well and, and make a good decision. And the best that you hear back from God is something like, you know, reply hazy, try again later. Yep, thanks for nothing, right? Now, the Bible does give us lots that is either right or wrong. And yet, as Christians, we also have incredible freedom to navigate the countless ambiguities, the countless questions. So, yeah, maybe it's not meat sacrificed to idols, but what are the things that you're, you're wrestling with? You're not sure how, how our faith, your faith, speaks into the decisions that you're making, the life choices, uh, the individual things. I mean, things as simple as, like, what kind of movies or, or TV is okay to watch? Right? And how much? How about books? What, what can I read? What shouldn't I read? Or, or social media? How much time should I spend? What kind of music? Uh, who do you vote for? We argue about that one sometimes, don't we? What, what about uh, how you raise your kids? What kind of schooling is best for them? Or how, how should you use your money? You know, what, what are you free to buy and when is it just, just too much? Or even just step out more broadly, right? The big decisions, maybe questions like, what school should I go to? Or what job should I pursue? Should I get married? And if so, who? How many kids should we have, if any? And how about meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Well, as long as it's free-range, organic, fair trade, Right? Local, too. Don't forget local. I mean, so many options, right? We have so many. And right here, Paul gives us a framework for making the very best decisions. Better than a magic eight ball. Better than just coming up with a list of rule after rule after rule. Paul doesn't simply tell us what to do, but how to decide. Now, we love our freedom, don't we? We, we do. We, we love limitless choices and endless possibilities. So did the Corinthians. But even more than freedom, more than just being able to do what we want, we want what's best, don't we? I mean, best as we get our one chance to, to live this life, right? Best with our, with our kids and with our workplaces and our school, our very best in, in every decision that we make for all of our relationships. And we all feel this tension, don't we? And to navigate the tension, Paul gives us five questions to ask ourselves in the midst of these ambiguities, right? And in, in the midst of these decisions, these gray moments, these places where we have freedom. And no matter who you are, whether you're young or old, whether you have been following Jesus for a really long time, or maybe you just this is your first Sunday, you're not even really sure who Jesus is or why you're here, regardless of who you are, 
all of us want to live well. And we want to love well. We, we don't want to live an average, mediocre life. We want to live the very best kind of life possible. We want to make good decisions. And we know there are better things than freedom. Better things than doing whatever we want. Better things than simply flying by the seat of our pants. And Paul gives us five questions to wrestle with to help us get there. All right, so first question. The first question we've got to ask, and the Corinthians had to wrestle with, is this an area, uh, the area in which I'm wrestling, so whatever the question is, whatever thing you're, you're working through in your life, uh, is it truly an area of freedom? Uh, is it gray, or is it, is it actually black and white, and you just kind of wish it was gray, right? Uh, so like, for example, uh, according to the Bible, right, if, you're, if we're going to take this book seriously, um, sleeping with your girlfriend is not a gray area, right? Cheating on your taxes, uh, gossip, uh, murdering your spouse, none of these are gray, okay? A gray area uh, is something that the Bible does not clearly, directly speak into. It's an area in which we have the freedom to decide for ourselves. That we look at our conscience, we look at our circumstances, we look at who we are, and we can make those decisions on our own. Like, for example, if you happen to be living in, in first, first century Corinth, should I eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Now, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to kind of look at two passages a little bit here. Because Paul addresses this twice. Really, it's bookends of the same conversation that he's having. We're going to look at all of chapter 8. Uh, as well, we'll weave in a little bit of the end of, of chapter 10. Rather than having this sort of message twice, we're kind of combining these two places together as we go through uh, Corinthians. And while, while this whole issue, meat sacrificed to idol, it seems ridiculous to us, this is a really big deal for them because if you lived in a city like Corinth in the first century and you wanted to go to any normal community function, right, you wanted to just be a, a good citizen, right, a member of that civic community, there was a good chance that you'd go to something and if there was a buffet, the meat on the buffet would have been offered to an idol. Really good chance of that. And if you were to go over to a friend's house, especially if that friend wasn't a Christian, which would have been the majority for sure in a city like Corinth, you know, you're just going out, hang out, watch the game or whatever. There's a good chance that those chicken wings had been offered to an idol. In fact, even if you went to the city market just to buy a steak, right? Let's just call it price chopper. You went there, plenty of options. There was a really good chance that the meat for sale there had been offered to an idol. And an idol, right, is a, a false god, right? It's an imposter to the one true god. And don't forget that these Corinthians, they've been worshiping these false gods like three weeks ago. And many of them are, are, are brand new Christians just trying to figure out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. They were making sacrifices to these gods just recently, but now they've encountered Jesus. And they believe that Jesus is, is the real deal. They want nothing to do with, with that old life. And yet... If they ever want to eat meat again, or go over to a friend's house, or be involved in their community, and still worship only Jesus, they've got to figure this out. It may seem completely irrelevant to us, even ridiculous, but for them, this has the potential of absolutely ripping this church community apart. How they decide makes a big, big, big difference in the way they're going to live. So chapter 8, verse 1 
As Paul begins, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, essentially, he's kidding himself, right? What Paul's saying here is that you might think you know the right thing to do. In fact, you may even know the right thing to do, but knowing the right thing to do doesn't mean that you know the right thing to do. I mean, that's really what he's trying to get at, right? You can have all the answers. You can be able to spell it out and explain it just fine. And yet that's not, for Paul, that's, it's not quite enough to have the answer. To simply say, well, I'm free, so I can do whatever I want and then just move on and do whatever you want. And so Paul, Paul continues, verse 4. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Listen, Paul says, idols are nothing. They're nothing. Jesus is the creator. He made everything. Everything, that, that meat, sacrificed to an idol or not, that was made by Jesus for Jesus. Of course, there's freedom, Paul's saying. And for us, in our context, right, there is great freedom. If there's not a command in Scripture or principles from Scripture that clearly push us in a certain direction, then we're free. And we have the opportunity to make those decisions in every kind of area within our lives. And so, for example, am I, am I free to get drunk? No. Am I free to have a drink? Well, sure. Am I, am I free to, to spend all of my money on me? No, of course not. Am I free to live in a nice house, assuming that I'm living a generous life? Well, then, yeah, of course. Am I free to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Of course you are. But we can't stop there. You might be free, but freedom isn't everything. There are better things than freedom, which leads us to the second question, really the rest of these questions. The second question that Paul pushes us to ask in those moments, after you've figured out if this is really truly an area of freedom, an area in which you have the right to decide, the second question, what is the wise thing for me to do? Because you might be free to do that thing, whatever it is, but that doesn't mean it's not a terrible idea. I mean, in fact, look, look how Paul concludes this issue in chapter 10. Okay, so skip, skip ahead. We'll kind of jump back and forth a little bit here. But in 10.23... Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Essentially, you may have permission to do something, but that doesn't mean you're not making a huge mistake. Does that, I mean, does that make sense? I mean, we've been in those circumstances before, haven't we? It's like, yeah, I could do that, but that's a, that's, that'd be dumb if I did that, right? We know those moments in our lives. It, it kind of reminds me of a movie Kelly and I watched it's been a few years now, um, and speaking of, of freedom and conscience, this is not a movie I would like just widely recommend, right? It's certainly not for, for everybody. We went into it knowing that it was about the subtle nature of temptation. And what's so fascinating about the film, it's really just a 24-hour period in this married couple's life, and it starts off, and they are clearly, absolutely, 100% in love with each other. I mean, neither of them would have ever even dreamed at the start of that day that they could end up having an affair. 
right? It was the furthest thing from the possibilities, from their mind. I mean, they, they love one another. And what's so interesting about the film is that there's not, there's not this moment as their day continues in which all of a sudden they make this really big mistake and go off and do this terrible thing. Instead, it's just one seemingly insignificant, incredibly small, unwise decision after another. One more, and then one more, and then one more. Just like a few more minutes, one more intimate de- detail, another half-truth, an innocent look, an innocent, seemingly innocent touch, right? Uh, uh, one more drink, a little bit later. And then all of a sudden, right, things that they were sort of free, right? Restrictions. were absolutely stupid and led, led to their destruction. I heard one pastor say recently, that most of our mistakes, the big ones, right, the ones that we lose sleep over, the ones that, that cause us so much regret right later in life, most of our mistakes could simply be eliminated if instead of asking, what can I do, right, or what can I get away with, what's okay, if instead we simply ask, what's the wise thing for me to do? And this, this moment, given who I am, where I'm at, what, what's the wise choice for me? I mean, can you imagine if we asked that regularly with our kids, Right? or before major purchases, or big life decisions, and relationships, and if that was actually a part of our, our regular rhythm of life, because, I mean, we don't typically just set out to, to blow it, do we? I mean, very rarely do our failures just happen, but they come after a series of unwise choices, things that we're free to do that are just dumb. And keep in mind with this, this this means that there are probably things um, that are unwise for you to do that might be just fine for the person sitting next to you. That's kind of a hard thing for us to wrestle with, isn't it? But that's what that means, right? For some, for example, uh, you may be free to drink, right? But if you have a history of alcohol abuse, it's probably a really bad idea. you, You might be free to have a credit card, right? And most of us, or maybe even all of us probably, probably do, but if you have a tendency to compulsively buy things you cannot afford, you probably shouldn't carry a credit card, right? It's just simple wisdom, isn't it? Or you, you may be free to, to date a non-Christian, right? Somebody who, who doesn't have the same life goals and values as you, but is it really the, the smartest thing to do? Sure, we've got freedom. You and I, we have loads of freedom, there are better things than freedom. Is it wise? Third, third question here. How does my conscience feel? How does my conscience feel? Now this one might feel like a little bit out of the blue for some of you, and, and maybe even like a little bit squishy, because it's not, I mean, talking about feelings and all that, maybe we come to it with the perspective, if something's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong, right? Who cares what my conscience thinks? Well, for Paul, this is a really important issue. It does matter what our conscience feels. And so, for, for example, look, at, look how the case study continues. Um, Paul has just said, essentially, in the first part of 8, that we, we're free to eat, right? Who cares, right? It's meat, it's meat, big deal, eat it. But then in 8, verse 7, he says, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? 
And so by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. All right, so what's, what's going on here? Well, the conscience, that, that's that inner voice, right? Probably familiar of it, right? I think probably all have one, right? Uh, it's, it's that thing that whispers to you, within you, whether or not something is, is right or wrong. I kind of picture Jiminy Cricket, right? Pinocchio. Uh, it's, it's that voice that says, do this or don't do this. And, and the Bible describes three kinds of conscience. The easiest is the good conscience, right? Maybe not the easiest to have, but the easiest to understand, right? That's when our belief and our behavior go together, right? They coincide. Your conscience is happy when you live like you believe, right? We, we know that. When you're living up to what your, your own standards or the standards that you know are right, your conscience is good. And as soon as they get out of whack, right, it becomes a little bit, little bit sketchy. And then there's, there's also, that's the good conscience, and there's the defiled conscience. Paul mentions that briefly here. It's mentioned other places in Scripture as, as well. That's, that's when your conscience um, just sort of gives up. Like, you ignore it long enough, and eventually it's just like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks, right? If you're not going to listen to me, I'm out of here. That's basically, it, at some point, if you ignore your conscience long enough, it's, it's just going to throw in the towel. I mean, I think of it sort of like, like GPS. I mean, I love, I love GPS. Um, it's always such a helpful thing. Um, and, or almost always, like, let's be honest. Um, sorry, Garmin employees. Almost always a helpful thing. Uh, but there's those moments, and I see like, well, yeah, anyway, quite a few of you out there, so. Um, anyway, no comment. Um, but there's, there's those moments, right, when you're driving, you miss a turn, and you hear that voice recalculating. And in my head, right, I know it's like a normal kind, but I always hear it with like patronizing sarcasm, right? That's how I hear it. And I miss another turn, recalculating, yeah. Yeah, you know, recalculate. I feel like in some ways it should be programmed at some point. If you miss too many turns in a row, it should just turn off, right? Say, you know what? If you don't want my help, that's fine. I hope you get there on your own, right? I feel like it should do that. That's, that's the idea of the defiled conscience, right? That at some point you ignore it long enough, it's only going to recalculate for so many times before it says, you know what? You figure it out, right? And we, we've been there, haven't we? All of us have at some point or another, the first time you do something you know is wrong, maybe an unkind word to a friend or a family member, uh, and you know that it's wrong and it hurts. Guilt and shame. And the second time, it still hurts, but not quite as much. And by the tenth time, you're convinced, right, that you're justified that the thing you're doing and feeling is right and should be this way. Because your conscience is, you know what, I'm done here. Everyone, I've been there, you've been there. We've all been there in that. That is the defiled conscience, and that, that is death in so many ways. And then there's the weak conscience. And that's what Paul spends the most time talking about here. Um, this is the conscience uh, that's hypersensitive, uh, that thinks something is wrong that's not wrong, right? The, the bells and the whistles within start going off within you uh, and saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, and even though it's something that's just fine. It's an area of freedom or a, or a gray area. And so like, for example, think about it this way. If last month Apollo was your god, 
And, and so last month, there was a, a temple in Corinth to Apollo at the time of Paul's writing. There were several temples to several gods, but Apollo was one of them. And so imagine if last month you went to worship your god, right, as you would normally do, and you brought an animal to sacrifice, and you ate that expertly barbecued steak on the grill in worship and delight in Apollo's name. Last month. Now you've met Jesus, And you realize Apollo is a fraud. He is a betrayer. You want nothing to do with him. Jesus is everything. Trouble is, you're hungry. Steak is good, right? And even though you're done with Apollo, right, the, the smell of meat on your neighbor's grill smells exactly like it did last month. And now in your mind and your conscience, steak tastes like Apollo. So your conscience, you can't separate it. Your conscience, now in the midst of this moment, it just, it's all you can think about when you eat is Apollo, and your conscience is freaking out in that moment. And who can blame the guy, right? If that is your situation, your past, and, and how you're living, I mean, of course it's going off. So Paul's saying he's got the freedom to eat, but if his conscience is burning, listen to your conscience. Because if, if you ignore it long enough, even when it's okay, It's only going to recalculate so many times before it gives up. I mean, this is why Paul says to the Romans, I mean, this is a common issue in the New Testament, um, Christians dealing with this issue. It seems, again, so out of reach for us, but for them it was normal. So Paul, very similarly to the the church at Rome, uh, he says to them, dealing with, he he said, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, essentially whose conscience isn't freaking out, Right? Verse 23, for whoever has doubts about whether or not something is right or wrong, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So listen, you may have freedom in a particular area, but if your conscience condemns you, even if it's really not wrong, But if your conscience condemns you, obey your conscience. There are better things than freedom. For example, when I was 17, most of my my high school years, I was not, I I wanted very little to do with Jesus. I I faked it, you know, for my my parents and my youth group and all those kinds of things. But truth be told, I wanted very little at all to do with Jesus. And in that part of my life, you know, as a 17-year-old in high school, uh, in the midst of, for me, what was oftentimes characterized by, I think, loneliness and fear and depression and doubt, I would go to, to music um, as kind of my, my place, right? It was my home. It was, it was a, a, really, looking back, it was, it was an idol to me. It was a place where I, I felt like life was worth living and could, it could feel better about myself. But as a senior in high school, when I was 18, God grabbed hold of me through Jesus. And in, in that moment, in ways I, I you know, didn't know at the time, but looking back, Jesus was saying to me, um, you need to come to me with your loneliness and your fear and your depression and your doubt. Not, not there anymore. And so, so in my mind, all of all the, the music, it was, it was associated uh, with my, you know, sinful lifestyle. I couldn't separate the two. And so if I heard, you know, Pearl Jam or Dave Matthews Band on the radio, it brought back everything about the old me of who, who I used to be, those old feelings, those old regrets, all of it came with. And so for me, I, I threw away all my CDs, like 40 of them. 
And, and it's not because I had to. Nobody was telling me to do that. Um, there was no external. And I wouldn't have told anybody that they had to do the same. But for me in that moment, I knew, I knew that my, my conscience was not going to separate it because all I could think of in those moments was my sinful lifestyle. Now, 18 years later, I've reacquired a lot of those CDs, honestly. I mean, <laughs> Pearl Jam and Dave Matthews, come on, right? But it's because, it's because my conscience isn't the same as it used to be. I've matured, I've grown. I don't, I don't see those things as, as tethered to my life as, as it used to be. My conscience has changed. But the, the point is, if your conscience is speaking out against something, listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Fourth, and honestly, this is the biggest point that Paul is making here. Um, this is the biggest deal. Fourth question, will it help me love? Will this thing, whatever it is I'm doing, whatever I'm debating with, will it help me love? Yes, you are free, but it's not enough to be right. It's not enough to be personally okay with something. There are better things than freedom, and what could be better than love? So even, even go back to this guy craving a steak, but unable to think about anything but Apollo. Right? He, he wants a steak. He wishes that he could eat meat. But in his conscience, right, he, he, his old life, which he is running from, rightfully, all of, you know, it's so intertwined with the, the tasty meat. And meanwhile, he sees you. Let's say you're a wiser, more seasoned, mature believer. You've been following Jesus a little bit more time. You've already worked through some of these issues. And he sees you uh, barbecuing a, you know, a, a, just a bacon-wrapped filet. Mm, right? Everybody else getting hungry for lunch, right? What is that going to do to the weaker brother? It still smells like Apollo. It's going to taste like him too. But he, but he sees you who he respects. And remember, this is a small church community, tight-knit. They would have known each other, and there would have definitely been a, a relationship there. I think there are a few options of what could happen. Uh, for one, best-case scenario, there could be a really healthy conversation about what's going on in that moment, why that individual thinks, like Paul does, that, that meat's it's nothing, right? Jesus is the creator of meat. Nothing's changed with this meat. We are free to eat. And so maybe there's some conversation. You're able to help that weaker brother's conscience really, truly become free, and he is able to eat alongside you to the glory of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's the best case scenario. More likely, he's just going to see you and think, huh, I didn't know Jesus and Apollo were buds. Maybe I don't have to give up as much of my old life. I mean, obviously, this guy, they go together still. So maybe, maybe it's okay, and maybe I can have, have both, which would be disastrous. Or maybe even more, more likely, you just end up saying, well, who cares about my conscience? This guy thinks it's okay, so it's got to be okay. And so he eats anyway, and in return, his conscience eats him, which is also disastrous. Meanwhile, can't you just see yourself, juice dripping down your chin? Mm, mm. This steak is so delicious, right? You should really try it. Really? Really? And so Paul says, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food, listen to this, if food makes my brother stumble or anything, right? I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Sure, we have freedom. But there are better things than freedom. Are you using your freedom to love? So maybe don't drink around your alcoholic brother. 
Maybe don't force your gore-resistant wife to watch The Walking Dead with you, right? It's not worth it, right? Don't flaunt your freedom to the harm of those around you. It's just better to go without. It's better to go without. Now, let me just make a really quick clarification here. Because it's easy to hear this, right? And even to hear what Paul's talking, and Christians have done this for a long time, of, of taking this and going to an extreme further than what Paul would have, would have asked, right? Uh, keep in mind that when Paul is talking about, he's talking about the person with the weak conscience whose soul might be destroyed. He's not talking about the legalist who thinks everything is wrong, right? Uh, the person who just is on their high horse out of their own legalistic, self-righteous judgmentalism, right, with their long list of rules, judging everybody for what they do and what they don't do. Okay, do you, do you know the difference, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a huge difference in these kinds of people. Uh, the, the person who says, you can't be a Christian and blank, which is basically the same thing as saying, uh, if you're a Christian, you need Jesus plus this. So you need Jesus plus voting this, the right way. I'm sure none of us have ever thought or said anything like that. You need, you need Jesus plus raising your kids exactly the, the right way or schooling your kids exactly the right way. You need, you need Jesus, but, but only Christian radio, right? God help us, right? You, Jesus, listen, Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus anything equals nothing, period. And we can't, we can't be a people who, who step around on eggshells, right? For people who, for others who try to make up ridiculous rules for all of us to follow. That's, that's not why Jesus died. He's, he died to, to set us free, right? To give us life. And so if someone, for example, if someone tells me, I know, I've, I've got attitude issues, and so you can, you can judge me on this one too, I guess. But I mean, if someone comes to me and says, you know what, you cannot be a Christian and drink alcohol, for example, what my response is, Bottoms up, and then the next round's on me, okay? And not, listen, not because alcohol is so great, but because the gospel is. And anytime we ever say, you need Jesus and this, we're lost. We've lost everything. We might as well just pack it up and go home. We have nothing. Jesus is everything. He died to set us free from any external laws or constraints. And yes, there is responsibility, but it's in the context of freedom and joy and grace. Everything changes because of Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is something, no matter, no matter what, no matter who we might offend or you know, tick off a little bit, it's worth it, right? Because that person is likely missing the gospel completely if that's their attitude. And we have, we have to stand for the gospel. It's not loving to let somebody miss the gospel. That said, we cannot flaunt our freedom to the harm of others. There are things that you and I ought to gladly give up, things that we love even, for the sake of people that we love even more. There are better things in freedom. So these are the last question. So just quick review. This one's shorter, I promise, but quick review. So am I free? Is it wise? How's my conscience? Is it loving? And finally, can I call it worship? All of life is meant to be worship. All of it. Not not an hour on Sundays, right? But our work, our school, every relationship, every hobby, everything you and I do, all of our life, is we exist. That's why God made us, Right? If there's a, like a job description on humanity, that's, that's it. That's who we are. We're meant to worship. That's why we're here. 
And we have incredible freedom because of Jesus, freedom with our time and our money and our energies. We have been saved by grace through faith. We are fully loved and fully accepted by the God who made us. And if you've, if you've given him your life, you are free. But we all know, don't we? I mean, freedom is just another word for responsibility, isn't it? I mean, kids, just a little warning. Your parents say, hey, we're going to give you some more freedom. That's a good thing. But what they also mean with that is, hey, we're going to give you some more responsibility, right? And that's, that's just the way it goes. Anytime there's a greater level of trust, a greater level of freedom, there's a greater level of responsibility. Freedom only raises the bar of what God expects from us. And so it makes sense that Paul ends the way he does in chapter 10. He says, so whether you eat or drink or, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Life is filled with so much gray. So many decisions, so much freedom, really so much potential for joy and for mistakes. But we've got to use it wisely. There are better things than freedom. And, and just even think about it for a second. Who is freer than God? Nobody tells God what to do. Limitless, infinite possibilities, infinite freedom, accountable to no one. But what does he do with his freedom? He comes here. He embraces all of our weaknesses and our limitations. He becomes one of us, right? Entering into the human existence and life and he becomes a servant even to the point of death. And he, he raises again. We're celebrating that next week, right? He rose again to set us free from anything that seeks to enslave us, from anything that seeks to limit or destroy us. He has made us free for our forgiveness and for our life. This is better than any magic eight ball or any long list of rules that we happen to come up with and certainly better than free-range meat sacrificed to an idol. God came to love and he wants all of you. He wants all of me, every part of us, that, that is so much better than freedom. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful that there is nothing because of what you've done through Jesus and only because of what you've done through Jesus, there is nothing that separates me from you. God, I just, I can't even get my mind around that. That for those of us who know you and love you, for, for those of us who follow you, God, who have given our lives to you, that you see us now as, as whole and beautiful and loved, even in the midst of our brokenness. And in that, God, you have set us free from all the things that seek to enslave us. God, I pray that we would live as free. And yet at the same time, God, I pray that we would not use our freedom in ways that are destructive to ourselves and destructive to others. God, I pray that we would be glad, that I would be glad to give things up for the sake of others, for things that I love even more, the people that I know and see and can, and can care for. God, I pray too for those here who don't know you, who haven't given their life to you. God, I pray that they would see that you love them, that you pursue them, and that you offer them and us, all of us, a life that is better both now and forever. And for that, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. In your name we pray.